to Old Testament Studies and Unacademic Modern History. My name is Nick, and my goal is to bring Old Testament scholarship from the ivory towers of academia to the common language of every podcast listener. I want to break down the technical conversations and methods of analyzing the Old Testament so that everyone can be involved in the academic conversations about what the Old Testament is, where it came from, and what its message is. Each episode, I want to look at the life and academic contributions of one modern Old Testament scholar to understand how their ideas developed and show their impact on our understanding of the Old Testament. So this episode is about Isaac Laperere. I realize in French it's pronounced something closer to Isaac Laperere, But I am not that good at speaking French, so I'm going to go with a pronunciation I think I can hit pretty close to every time. So Lapierre and the creation account in Genesis. Isaac Lapierre, also known as Pererius, was born in Bordeaux to a Calvinist Huguenot family. They were Portuguese New Christians, which is to say that they had converted from Sephardic Judaism. Um, If you know Portugal and Spain, Sephardic Judaism is the big group there, as opposed to the Ashkenazi Judaism of, let's say, Germany and Eastern Europe. But anyways, his family were uh, New Christians, so they had converted to Christianity from Judaism. And they were actually fairly prominent and his father was a private secretary to Jacques Ile de Goyon de Matinon, Marshal de France, and his grandfather was general treasurer to the royal house of Navarre. When La Pereire was 28, he married Suzanne B. Petit, but I would say Petit. He married Suzanne Petit and was practicing law, 28. It is unclear how he started that profession, but that's kind of the nature of old records at times. Somehow, he was practicing law. Two years later, in 1626, he was brought in front of a synod of the French Reformed Church and was accused of being an atheist. This was pretty common at the time, So don't worry, this will happen in later episodes as well. But he was brought in front of a synod of the French Reformed Church, accused of being an atheist, but his family was pretty influential. Like I said, they had some friends in high places. So 60 pastors came to his defense, and all the charges were dropped. In 1640, La Pereire went to Paris to be the secretary to the Prince of Condé and wrote his major theological work in 1641. As a side note, this prince also sponsored Hugo de Groot at one point, so these two were running in similar circles, and de Groot was the Swedish ambassador to France during the time that uh, La Pereire was here. So they both would have been in Paris, serving in different capacities, but both in Paris at the same time. It is said that uh, Grotius read a copy of La Pereire's major work 
and wrote a refutation of it in 1643. He actually published it. And La Prière was apparently unhappy with this because his book was still unpublished and was being circulated among his friends as a rough draft. Nobody wants to have their rough draft blasted in a publication by their friend or even just an acquaintance. It's unkind. Anyhow, in 1644, La Prière went to Copenhagen with the French ambassador and wrote some anthropological works there. Queen Christina of Sweden saw the unpublished work, and this is actually going to be the work that we're dealing with, and she paid for its publication in Brussels in 1655, and the English title of this work is called Men Before Adam. Keep in mind, that's primarily what we're going to be talking about. But Christina of Sweden really loved it. Uh, keep in mind, this is also the one who recruited de Groot to be a Swedish ambassador. But when he published this book, the backlash was immediate. It was banned and burned everywhere for its heretical claims. And many refutations immediately appeared. La Pereira himself was arrested and kept in prison in Belgium for six months. He was told that he would be released if he turned Catholic and recanted to the Pope. So he went to Rome and begged for the Pope's forgiveness, saying that his heresies resulted from his Calvinist upbringing, and that though all Jews and Christians disagreed with him, and he could find no scriptural or reasonable evidence against his theories, he would adjure them because the church said they were wrong. What a recantation that is. I don't care that everyone disagrees with me. I can't find any scripture or logical argument against it. But because you say they are wrong, they are wrong. And I will stop talking about them. And please forgive me. It's because I was a Protestant. Blame my parents. Anyhow, these recantations are still found in two formal letters from 1658 and 1663. So the Pope offered him a post, but La Pereire returned to Paris and became Condé's librarian. He also joined the Oratory of Jesus as a lay member, um, which is actually a Catholic society of priests in Paris. He gathered more evidence for his biblical views and tried to rework his writings on Adam and the Old Testament, but was unsuccessful in getting any of them published. And he died in Paris in 1676. As uh, some authors noted, he spent most of his later years writing books that would soon be burned after his death. Uh, clearly, his recantation meant I won't talk about them publicly, not I will not say questionable and heretical things generally. So I know this is a little early in the episode, but I do want to take the quick break here because there is so much stuff in Isaac LaPereire's work that it will take some time to go through it, and the second half will be a little bit longer. So let's take a break.
this part is the strange views of La Perere's work. And we'll start with the primary challenge, which is his view of the original Adam. As the title that I mentioned before might indicate, he thought that there were men before Adam. So, Adam was not the original human, as the biblical story has traditionally been read. Hopefully, we are all clear on the Genesis narrative that God created the world in six days, he created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to tend the garden called Eden. So, let me start. I do not want to engage in current young earth creationism, old earth creationism, theistic evolution, or whatever other current origin conversations are happening. Perhaps I will give my views and questions about the current uses of the Genesis creation account in a reflection episode, but here I just want to talk about La Perere. To be fair to the history, there were earlier Christian thinkers who doubted the literal six-day creation. Among them, Giordano Bruno and Augustine, um, also Mammonitis had some interesting views on the creation account from a Jewish perspective. But La Perere took it a step further. Some have argued that he was trying to assume a naturalistic explanation for humans and undermine the Bible entirely. But I think what he was doing was undermining the Old Testament while keeping the New Testament. And that is different. He was involved with the church his whole life. And he even appealed to the Pope, after all. So I don't think he was entirely rejecting Christianity, but was working with a heretical view of the Old Testament, and the view being that the Old Testament is not necessary for salvation, but only the New Testament is. The name for this view is Sassinianism. It is related to Marcionism, but this is not a podcast about ancient Christian heresies. My point is just to say that I think he still considered himself a Christian, but he had a really negative view of the Old Testament and truthfully, he's not the first. Many Christians have struggled with how the Old Testament law fits with the New Testament, and La Perere offered one solution to that. So let's first talk about the pre-Adamite theory. If you remember a few episodes ago, Pierre Daniel Hewitt tried to claim that the law of Moses was the earliest law and all others copied it. Part of his argument was that the native people of the Americas heard about Moses' law from the Phoenicians. Hewitt was not the only one concerned about this. The discovery of the New World by Europeans, yes, discoveries in air quotes, the discovery of the New World by Europeans led to huge questions. Once they knew for certain that this was not just the far part of Asia, they immediately had to wonder about their faith. I mean, given enough time, people could walk from the Middle East through Asia, Europe, and Africa. Maybe they could sail to Japan and Britain and island hop through the Philippines and Indonesia. Those can be treacherous sailing, but they aren't that far. But it is really challenging to see how ancient people groups 
sailed across the Pacific or Atlantic Ocean. That is a huge difference from the English Channel or the Sea of Japan. We're, we're talking the English Channel in the Pacific Ocean. Just to get it out of the way, I know that Pacific Islanders have been shown to sail across the Pacific Ocean in ancient times, as have the Japanese, and some of the Inuit have sailed from Canada and Alaska into Greenland or Russia. But this seems impossible even today, and they surely did not have the archaeology to show these connections during La Perere's time. Anyhow, the point is that more than just Hewitt was concerned about how the Americas received their law codes and even how the people came to live there. La Perere's theory touched upon this latter concern, and this is one of the areas that Grotius challenged. Grotius claimed that the people in the Americas were Norwegians or Germans and descended from the Vikings. Think of Leif Erikson or Eric the Red, you know, the people that landed at Newfoundland. Even in their times, that was a good five, six hundred years before the time of Grotius and La Perere. So, to start La Perere's theory, I would like to quote Grotius's argument. So, Grotius, quote, If this were not the case, being that they were Germans or Norwegians, if this were not the case, then either the Americans would not be the offspring of any nation, or they existed from eternity, or were born of the earth or the ocean, or that there were some men before Adam, as one in France lately dreamed, if such things be believed, I see a great danger imminent to religion. End quote. So Grotius is asserting that if the people of the Americas did not come from the Germans or the Norwegians, then there's a great problem in the Christian faith. I will get to some of the theology questions that stem from this, but I really want to explain the theory first. The theory that there were some men before Adam, as one in France lately dreamed. What does he mean? For La Perere, the only people descended from Adam are the Jews. Traditional Christian and Jewish views are that all people descended from Adam, but La Perere says the rest of the people, the Gentiles, came from somewhere else. One of the two primary arguments used by La Perere is the one mentioned by Grotius, population. So La Perere claims that the literal reading of Genesis does not have enough time for all the people that are on the earth to spread out. In addition, there are not enough generations between Adam and the rise of Mesopotamian and Egyptian cultures. How, in 20 to 30 generations, were there enough people for Abraham to encounter? There were already city-states in Canaan. Egypt was organized under Pharaoh. The Hittites and Mesopotamians have settled populations. And this is a ton of people. 
and a ton of social organization and scientific progress in a really, really short amount of time. This is even beyond the issue that Grotius was addressing of people being in the Americas and in Australia. So the natural sciences and population are hard to reconcile with this. So the first argument is population size and scientific advancement of ancient peoples. How could all those cultures develop and spread out in that short amount of time? Argument two is biblical. The main argument comes from Romans 5, 13 through 14. Quote, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. End quote. So the interpretation for La Perere hinges on the words law and sin. Most would say that law is referencing the law of Moses, you know, the 613 Jewish laws from the Old Testament. However, La Perere interprets this as the law of Adam. You might be wondering, what is the law of Adam? The command was, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So that was the first law. And that was given to Adam right away. Why is this important for La Perere? Because Adam sinned. In the passage, sin is not imputed where there is no law. Adam sinned. How can you talk about the sin of Adam if there was no law for him to sin against? The verse says, sin in the likeness of the offense of Adam. But this doesn't make sense if he didn't receive any commands. How do you sin or break the law if there are no laws? If there are no laws, then everything's permissible. Therefore, the law mentioned in this passage must refer to Adam because he is the one who sinned. He sinned. He has the law. The only law we see mentioned is not to eat of the tree. Therefore, that must be at least one part not the only part of the law referred to here. Here's the trick. If the law in Romans 5.13 is about Adam being commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge, then what about the rest of the verse? Since this is an audio podcast, I will read the verse again. Romans 5.13-14. through 14, Quote, For until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. What does for until the law sin was in the world mean? For until the law sin was in the world. For La Perere, that means that there was a time before the law, which means there was a time before Adam, because Adam was the one who received the first law. 
It's perfectly logical if you accept his interpretation of law and sin. Adam's sin, there is no sin without law, just stated in the verse. Adam's sin, there is no sin without law. Therefore, the first law must be with Adam. But there was a time when sin was in the world before the law. So, there had to be a time with people before Adam, before the law, who were sinning, but did not have the law of Adam. They presumably had different laws, but not that law. Another scriptural proof of the existence of people before Adam is Cain. For those who may not have read Genesis lately, here's the quick overview. Adam and Eve had three kids, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Cain and Abel made offerings to God, but God hated Cain's offering. So, Cain got upset and murdered Abel. Well, when Cain killed his brother, God drove him out from his family. But this is the important part. When God said that he had to leave his presence and travel east, Cain replied, quote, I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. End quote. It's Genesis 4.14. But think about it. This is Adam and Eve's son. If they are the first humans, who is going to find Cain? Either his parents or his siblings, right? But it seems like he's afraid of strangers. Someone who sees him as a wanderer is probably not his own family. They know who he is. It is also said that he marries and establishes a city in the land east of Eden. So this assumes that there are other people for him to marry and to live in the city that he built because one man and his wife does not make a city. So there seems to be a lot of indications that there are people living at least east of the land of Eden where Adam and Eve are at. So this means that for La Perere, there are two creations. This is how he actually interprets Genesis. The creation of the Gentiles happens in Genesis 1. Then a later creation of the Jews happens in Genesis 2 through 3, where we get Adam, Eve, and their children. So not everyone is descended from Adam, but only the Jews and they are only one part of this Genesis story, the second part. This biblical argument, again, shows how seriously La Pierre was taking the Bible. He wasn't discounting it entirely. He was questioning how literal the Old Testament should be taken, but he was doing it by using the New Testament. Now, I want to get into some of the implications of this. As you might guess, this type of argument has been used later for some racial and anti-Semitic claims. You know, there's more than one type of human, right? But La Perere doesn't seem to have taken this line super directly, at least not in, like, modern racial theory. So I don't want to go there right now, although I will touch a little bit on that. I just want to acknowledge that others have picked this up and ran with it, and that is a danger with this 
view. But what I really want to talk about right now is original sin and miracles. So, in Christian doctrine, original sin comes from Adam. All people in the world are born into sin because it is transmitted from the original ancestor, Adam, who sinned. It is like a hereditary trait. Now, there are arguments about whether this is a disposition towards sinning or literal sin and guilt that is transmitted, but no matter how you want to work out the details, Adam is the key point. If you are not a descendant of Adam, how are you affected with original sin? The New Testament claims that through one man, Adam, all have sinned. But if you are not a descendant of that one man, then how have you inherited sin? So, La Perere takes in a unique turn. He makes the distinction between natural sin and legal sin. So, natural sin is like war, plague, fever, and other just global afflictions. Legal sin, though, comes through Adam. However, this is a spiritual sin and not a material one, because material sin would have killed Adam instantly. You know, murder kills somebody. So a spiritual sin can go both directions according to La Perere. Natural sin goes forward, but legal spiritual sin goes both directions. So the spiritual sin of Adam can be imputed backward to the people living before him, as well as the people coming after him. So death comes from natural sin and was around before Adam and the law, but the spiritual legal sin of Adam was different and came with a spiritual death, not a physical one. So the text saying that Adam died as a result of his sin is not literal because he lived many years after and was going to die anyhow, but it was mystical. He was dying a spiritual death. This tendency towards non-literal reading extended throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament for La Perere. He claimed it was unlikely that the flood happened because the earth could not repopulate that quickly. So the flood was a local event to Israel-Palestine that was talked about in exaggerated terms. Also, Moses did not write the Pentateuch because some of the events had to have happened after his lifetime. For example, his death, which is talked about in Deuteronomy. The darkness that covered the world during the crucifixion of Christ did not extend over the whole earth, but only over the whole land, which is Israel-Palestine. Hezekiah's reversal of the sun's course only happened on Ahaz's sundial, but not to the sun itself. The sun during the battle at Gibeon did not stand still over Gibeon, but it the sunset lingered in the sky. The day of the battle at Gibeon was the longest day there ever was in Gibeon, but 
not on the whole Earth. Because, as we all know, in the polar regions, there is unbroken daylight for months. So all of these interpretations essentially come down to a denial of miracles. Let's just call it what it is. But, but, it is not a denial of the Bible. These reinterpretations only make sense if you believe that the Bible is essentially true. You don't narrow the flood story down if you don't believe that the flood happened. You don't narrow down the creation story if you don't believe creation actually happened. He asserted the truth of the Bible, but tried to make it align with his understanding of the mechanics of the world. So this is an interesting combination. It is not atheism in the sense we would think of it, nor anti-Old Testament necessarily, but a sanitizing of it. He wanted to try to keep the Old Testament, but just make it agree with all the things he thought it clashed with. One final point that I need to mention, partially because it is really strange and kind of works out his theories. I stated earlier that the pre-Adamite theories led to some extreme racial ideas later, but La Pereira didn't seem to take it that far. This is true, but his ideas definitely led to a unique view of his current history. I know current history sounds like a weird oxymoron, but it's history for us. It's current times for him. La Pereira was a Zionist. That is, he believed that Jews should return to Israel-Palestine. But that's not all. He believed that Jesus was only the Messiah of the Gentiles. Hear that. Jesus is the Messiah only of the Gentiles. He predicted that a Messiah for the Jews would come in the 17th century. Not only that, but the Jewish Messiah would co-rule the world with the King of France. He'd be the Gentile leader. Based upon some political entanglements, the King of France was Louis XIV at one point, but later switched to the Prince of Condé, who tried to take the throne in a coup. So, La Pereira wasn't exactly consistent on who this King of France was in his glorious expectations. But political motivations aside, La Pereira's view of a second Messiah for the Jews, and especially that this Messiah would come in the 17th century, is very unique. This is kind of a hint at what pre-Adamite theories can lead to. If the people are separate and under separate laws, then their Messiah and future restoration look different. The Jews have their own Messiah, their own land, completely separate from the Christians, from the Gentiles. So that's where I'll leave us for today. La Pereira tried to reconcile the Old Testament with his understanding of the natural world by making traditional readings and miracles either metaphorical or just minimized. He proposed that Adam was not the first human, and most of the large-scale miracles 
were really minor events blown way out of proportion. Is this still upholding the truth of the Old Testament? Maybe. Is it taking the Bible stories seriously? In some ways, I think so. But the bigger question is, is this a legitimate way to understand or read what is happening in the Old Testament? So I hope you enjoyed this episode. What will be coming next will be Thomas Hobbes and his view of the Old Testament and miracles and politics, which he gets into even deeper than La Pereira. So please subscribe and stay tuned for that next episode coming out in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Old Testament Studies, an unacademic modern history. If you'd like to contact me with episode ideas, questions, comments, or just deeper discussion about Old Testament or ancient Hebrew linguistic scholarship, feel free to email me at modernoldtestamentstudies at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening.